We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVergilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know? Podcast is back, baby. What's up? This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast presented by BetUS. I'm Alan Williams. I'm here. Of course, with the man himself, James DiVirgilio. Thanks for all you guys tuning back in. Glad to be back here on the mics. What's up, James? What's up, Alan? Uh, we're back. It's been it's been a month and change, and a lot has happened, and we know that. We know that it's difficult for us to be away from the microphones during these tumultuous times, uh, but we also feel like sometimes if you let enough events happen, Alan, Analyzing it in the macro, which is what we tend to like to do, gives a a better narrative. So Indeed. there's this idea of letting something unfold before you analyze it. Let your emotions go away. Take a look at the data. Try to come up with a more emotionless view of something. And I think sometimes that's true with our off-season plan. Uh, but for those of you that wish we were broadcasting more frequently, first of all, thank you. That means a lot to us. And second of all, also, we're sorry that we go off the air for a while, but it gives Alan and I a much needed and nice mental break. But we are very excited to be back with you on this show. We are presented to you by BetUS. And as always, if you like this content, follow us on social media, sub to our YouTube channel for film breakdowns, become a patron on Patreon where you can drop us donos as well and support our efforts to continue to bring you this content throughout the 2022 season. And Alan, during this break, we had some donos, which is always so in- so good, encouraging. I love First it. of all, some of you had your credit cards expire, which happens to all of us. And then you're like, okay, I had to change my credit card number or it expired. And Dylan Barton recognized this and came back. Thank you, Dylan. Welcome back. Uh, yeah, for those of you, if you find like, oh, I'm not supporting the pod anymore. Well, hey, hop on and change that credit card number. Uh, Stacy comes in with a level up to a large dono. Thank you, Stacy. Yeah. Great to have you leveling up. A level up from Kevin Stegan. Each and every year leveling up. Thank you, Kevin. And then perhaps a very surprising dethroning dono occurred. Big news. In the winter, the dead of winter. It was a sneak it's attack. cold outside. People are lulled to sleep. They're at their homes. They're cozied up. And in comes Jason Walker dethroning the big homie. Wow. Thanking us for our efforts to provide him with quality um, analysis of the Florida Gators. A really nice message from you, Jason. Thank you. And you are now sitting on the throne. So your reign begins here in the offseason. And uh, long live Jason Walker, the current king. 
Alan, tell us about our Dono legends, who Jason Walker will now become one and join when his reign is over. Well, the aforementioned big homie, first on the list here, thanks to him for being such a big and strong supporter of the show. Uh, Lil Payton moves to number two here, I guess, in this list. I like starting with him. That was always fun. Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marcellisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Rummery, and Craig Scarado. All right, James, a lot has happened, as you said, most of it in the form of roster movement. National Signing Day occurred, which is really just kind of the you know, little coda to the story of signing day, but still notable things happen. There is drama. Uh, the portal continues to be, you know, the story in college football along with NIL. Um, and so national signing day, I think Gator fans ha- were a little teed up for this one because we were in the running for several very high profile players. Um, didn't break the Gators way for most part. Uh, how'd you experience national signing day? Anything? Was it drama filled for you? It was not drama filled, but as a background for those of you that are new to the show, of course, Alan and myself view recruiting as something that has to be done to win at a certain level. So therefore I try to look at it. I don't look at the names. I don't look at who the people are. Um, that matters. Of course, if I was coaching, I would look at that. But to me, what matters is that we hit the right numbers, And then Alan is going to talk later in this podcast about fit. So you have to have overall talent. I'm a stargazer, if you will. I want the top 100 players, as many of them as possible. And I think what happened here, Alan, was we went from number 76 in recruiting. We weren't on anyone's radar that was a top 30 player. And then we jumped on to several prominent guys' radars, which kind of got people hyped up, which is great. First of all, let's pause right there. Entering into signing day, there was some excitement. I think a lot of you and a lot of people did not expect that to happen. That did happen, and Florida was in position to make significant waves. In fact, there were a lot of national pundits who thought, hey, Florida's primed to like announce themselves on this national signing day. And as it turned out, Florida essentially went over for the three biggest names they were looking for, and they did get a guy in, uh, in Caleb Douglas, who's from Texas, who they landed as a wide receiver, who they like. But in reality, if you looked at the national narrative, where Florida was declared a loser, Allen, by most media outlets just for National Signing Day, it's because they lost out on some of these guys, Citizen to Miami, Perkins to LSU, and Matthews to A&M. Uh, any one of those guys goes to Florida, the narrative changes. If two of them goes, it would have been a sensational day. Uh, unfortunately for Florida, they're just wasn't enough time I think you could argue or enough money you could say in the NIL right depending on how you're looking at it to land those players but for me my takeaway is this the fact that Florida got themselves into those conversations in just 59 or 60 days when they had no real prior relationships with these guys was remarkable the fact that some people thought Florida had a legit chance to land Perkins Florida was a favorite to land Citizen That, to me, is what you want. In a 60-day window where college football is no longer what it was when Mullen or McIlwain had their first classes 
It's not the same thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. It's not the same anymore because of early signing. It's just not the same. So I thought it was remarkable that we got into those living rooms. We got into those final three. Our hat was on the table. And it was unfortunate we didn't land that sort of headliner, program-shifting, kind of defining talent. But the evidence to me was that Billy Napier is planting uh, a foundation that is going to yield huge dividends in what is always the most important recruiting class, and that's year two. That's the one we've talked about. We've highlighted all of the best recruiters. Nail it. And I think he set himself up for that kind of class next year, although sad, certainly, we could not close on one of these three prospects. Yeah, I think the irony is that the guys who wait become these very hot commodities and they're, everybody's discussing them because there's only a very few of them. Um, the guy who is the highest profile certainly was Harold Perkins, you know, linebacker. No, I think he's number eight overall on the 247 composite. And he decommitted. He committed to A&M and then decommitted. And as you said, I think had Florida not been in the running for these guys, no one would have batted an eye. It wouldn't have been a story. Why isn't Florida in on this, you know, Texas linebacker? The fact that we got in made it disappointing, weirdly. It would not have disappointed had we not moved the ball down the field with them so much. So I think if you're looking for the narrative in the opposite light, as as you were saying, I think there's a lot of evidence that the staff is really on it with these top guys, and they're pursuing the top guys. Um, Perkins was the only one that really moved the needle for me. Matthews is a highly rated player. I think with Wilson, with the other safeties we have on this roster, it's less of like, oh, man, we didn't get this guy. We could have really used a guy like Perkins if he turns out to be who we think he is. Now, again, he was the highest rated guy on the board, and you want him. Um, we signed another guy in this class, Shamar James, who's also a top 60 or so player at linebacker. And you never know this. He could be turn out to be a much better player than Perkins. But you want to accumulate as many of those top guys as possible because you're not sure who's going to hit and who's not. Um, losing a running back to Miami is whatever, you know, I don't, maybe we'll regret that deeply, but as you said, a few bright notes, Caleb Douglas, the wide receiver who this staff likes a lot. They targeted him immediately. I think he was the first guy they offered when Napier got the job. And then, you know, one of these like weird kind of recruiting stories, there's, you know, offensive lineman, Jalen Farmer, who had been a commit, didn't sign. And it's like, okay, maybe the staff is just kind of like, hey, you're not that good. Why don't you hold off until we see if we have better offers? Apparently not. Um, if you, I don't believe the rumors, he was choosing between Florida and Bama and maybe somebody else. So in that sense, it's a win. Who knows if he really had a spot at Bama or not. Um, but another big body on the offensive line. And, you know, not a high-profile guy, but – you know, if Bama is willing to take him, if that's true, then you would count that as a win, certainly. Yeah, I thought Florida, if you look at how this particular class is structured, there's a lot of really high upside guys. And that's a big Very difference true. from what we had talked about before with the guys that Mullen would get or even McElwain would get. And McElwain hit tremendously on some guys, obviously, if you look at who he's put in the NFL, uh, who was on Florida's roster, what's happened to Mullen's team since that happened. But I think it's fair to say that this roster, even under 60 days notice, you can 
read the scouting report, you can watch some of the film, and you can see that these players have high ceilings. They may not get there, right? But I think that shows the success Napier had at Louisiana, actually recruiting guys that had high ceilings and developing them into those. Mullen got some credit for that, but that really did not happen very often across Mullen's rosters. It may have happened at quarterback or somewhere else. Either way, you don't want your classes to look like this year's class. That's your takeaway. This is not what you want Florida's recruiting classes to look like next year or the year after. That is unacceptable. But for this year, for where we are, we talk about this every year at the opening uh, August segment, and we'll do it again this year. What matters more, Alan, style or sort of results? And the answer is style matters. Like how you achieve the results matters, right? And we were in the dance. We were in the room. We were courting the best talent and they were being courted by us and we missed. But that's what you want. That is indicative of future results down the road. And that to me is what I'm taking away from this. So this is not what you want in the future. You should not view this class as something Florida is going to be able to succeed with in the long run. But I do think, like we said, there were some wins. And Jalen Farmer holding off Alabama for that kind of offensive lineman is good. I love who Florida's offensive line is already becoming identity-wise. And I cannot wait to see, Allen who Florida's capable of recruiting on the offensive line side in the future. Because as we know, that has been a remarkable whiff for a decade. And it looks like that's already going to be changing. So I'm excited for the future. I'm disappointed for what happened in the short term, but I'm disappointed without cause, so to speak. They did all they could do. And sometimes the chips don't fall your way. And that's how I feel about it. And that's what you want your coaching staff to do. And there are some high-level guys in this class who I think could project to be really quality players at the top end. And then, like you said, at the bottom end, they took some huge swings, which I like, as you said. Even the quarterback they took, Max Brown, who was like a Central Michigan commit, I think is we stole him away from McIlwain. Um, Yeah, baseball player, only played football, I think, the last two years had a really big senior season and the way the recruiting, you know, website services work, there's not a lot of room for movement. If you have a big senior year, they're already on to like the next classes. And I think quarterbacks are going to be under recruited with the portal because you're going to take a guy, he's going to leave. You'd rather get him coming rather than going because then he's already used up his transfer, but there's going to be some of these guys. I think you could take a chance on, you know, and, see what he's like in a couple of years. Maybe he's Patrick Mahomes. Maybe he's out of football in a year. Who knows? Maybe right? he's Kyle Trask. Right. So they took, as you said, some big swings. There's a tight end they took who's like not even nationally ranked. But they, I think the staff loves him. And so there's a couple guys. There. And then, again, you have the room in this class to take a few more of those guys, take some big swings. Because, you know, if you take a guy rated like 300 spots ahead of him, who's just going to be okay is that really going to move the needle for you? You'd rather spend some of these lottery tickets probably because you're not going to be recruiting these type of guys very often in later classes, hopefully. Maybe just one or two in each class. So they, they took some big swings with some of these guys, for yeah. sure. As someone who miraculously won both of their fantasy football leagues this year, Congrats Alex, to you. I would like to say that a big part of my strategy as I've played fantasy football for 20-plus years now is to absolutely avoid at all costs the middle player. I just don't take them anymore. I don't care if you've been in the NFL for eight years and you consistently churn out X amount of points. I don't want you. It doesn't matter because you have to win by selecting the flyers. And I select a ton of flyers along with my guys up top. And then you can work the waiver wire. But I think this is a key strategy 
in recruiting with the portal because the portal allows you to address needs in free agency. So you want to hit on all the stars you possibly can. Stargaze your face off. And then your three stars should be guys you love their ceiling for. Because you don't want a roster of dudes that are just replacement level players. they're not going to leave. It doesn't help for practice. It isn't good for your team. It's not good for anything. You don't want that. You want the dude who grows into his body, stays there for two or three years, and then becomes a beast, right? So I like that balance. I think it's great to see that approach. And you're not going to hit on most of those guys, like you mentioned, but you will hit on some. And if you mix that with top talent, you've got a recipe for championship seasons. Because right. the middle tier, the middle guy might go, I should be playing somewhere. The lower tier guy is going to go, most likely I'm going to stay here and become a beast or I'm going to transfer down to FCS or something. And you're fine with him leaving. And so I don't know. it. I don't. The portal thing is going to be crazy. We're going to have to really look at hard at the data from the next couple of years to see what is what is college football like and how do we need to adjust our either expectations or how many scholarships you hold, what does signing day look like. I think a lot's going to change. Okay, why don't you give us just the raw numbers from this year's class? All right, Raw, first we only signed five players from Florida. Does that bother you? Does that really uh, address it directly in his press conference? How do you feel about five players? I, I don't mind it now. I think anything you would do in this class is you're just kind of what's the best class available? I Napier said he wants to recruit Florida heavily first and foremost. I do think you still need to recruit nationally to be a, to get those top, top guys, but you have to be like the beast in your own state. And that got harder with Mario Cristobal getting hired in Miami, but you you still have to do it. And I think they're committed to that. Yeah. What we said happened, right? We said when Cristobal got hired, it's the worst case for Florida from the recruiting standpoint. Coaching-wise, he seems to not have maybe what it takes to win something. But recruiting-wise... we're not playing them. We're just battling correct. for players. And that, that, that's real. You already saw that happen. But I think the key is, again, you have to ask the why question. Okay, why did we sign five players? Was our coach aloof? Did he say whatever? No, it was perfect. Tactically, given the scenario we had, the best players just happened not to be in Florida. And the ones they wanted happened not to be in Florida. Strategically... Napier is like, if we're going to be good, we have to be the best recruiting team in the state of Florida. That's everything you want. And so you say, okay, that's great. The why made sense for this tactic. The strategy makes sense for the future. So no concern for me for this particular season that way. It would be very concerning next year if we signed five players from Florida. But that is almost certain. Unless you end up with a top five class anyway and you go, well. Sure. Almost certainly not going to happen. Yes, that would be hard to do. You have to win Florida. All right, so let's look at what happened last year. We had 22 commits. One top 30 player, uh, three or four in the top 100, nine or 10, depending on where you looked at in the top 300. We were ranked 13th nationally and fifth in the SEC. That was tier 2.5 for the James tier system, which I will get into in just one second. I'll explain it. All right, this year, 17 commits, nobody in the top 30 because our number one recruit, right, Kamari, magically slid out of the top 30, even though no one's playing football. He dropped from 28 to 43. His like rating actually improved, I think. Even just, though he got better. Yeah. Right. And so whatever. It's like a Madden rating when you get that high up there. Fine. It's a it's why it's a top 30-ish in the tier system. We'll get to that in a second, though. So two top 100s, five top 300s, 19th nationally, ninth in the SEC. That's good for tier four this year. So a step back overall. But, Alan, had we signed five more players... This class would have probably looked a whole lot like last year's class. For sure. I think when you look at the 247 composite, it's each recruit is like weighted a certain number of points, right? So 
We might even sign a guy here. There's a guy out there that I think is down to Florida and maybe Oregon, uh, three-star guy. If we sign him, I think we'll be up to like 15th or 16th. So it's that close in that little tier. We're like barely any points behind. So if that ranking matters to you, that will improve us if we do sign that guy. But it doesn't, obviously being 19th or 15th doesn't matter if, if one three-star guy moves you up or down like that. Um, that's why I really like the tier system that you helped pioneer, I guess. Yeah, well, and tiers, obviously, yeah. again, like fantasy football, it's a great way, I think, to look at your players. Don't fall in love with one guy. Take a look at kind of the top guys. But either way, we're tier four this year. We were tier 2.5 last year. I want, I want you to settle in with this. The odds were pretty darn good that if Mullen stayed on, we were going to sign a very similar class, slightly worse than we had the year before, which means that Napier in 59 days would have equaled that class had there been more players available, which is ridiculous. And it shows the absolute level of failure that Mullen had as a recruiter, which we chronicled. All right, here is the tier system. I use the 247 composite because it is a composite, therefore the best and most data available. If you want to be a tier one recruiting school, you have to sign two or more. And typically you're probably going to sign at least two, but sometimes three um, in this case. Top 30-ish players. I say 30-ish. It's flexible. We're just looking for that top third. Basically, that means five-star. Yeah, roughly five-star right player. Uh, then you want to have six or more top 100s, which, again, is a lot. Tier one, right? Six or more top 100s. 13 or more top 300s. So basically, your roster is very top-heavy. Uh, you're going to have 15 to 18 of your commits be in that level. That is an elite level of recruiting. That's tier one. Tier one schools for this year. A&M, greatest recruiting class of all time, if you're looking at actual composite metrics. Bama, UGA, Ohio State. Yeah, and A&M, I think, signed maybe seven, seven five-star, seven, seven top guys, 30-ish Top players. 30 guys. So technically, and we've done this before, we put Bama in their own tier. Yeah. This year, A&M's in their own tier. Last year, Georgia was in their own tier. So this year, it's A&M. They're it's in crazy. their own tier. Technically, they're above tier one. It's insane. But if you're really getting down to it, A&M, Bama, UGA, Ohio State, some you're going to start splitting hairs between those players. It gets very, very close, especially when you look at the top 100. So those schools, stop me for those names before, consistently recruited a tier one level, which is why at the end of the year, you typically see them factoring into the playoff well, those, conversation. The, certainly those three. I'm, but the big news is A&M, who's recruited around the top 10, being not just in that one. tier one, but into the stratosphere is by far the biggest story. And we'll talk about that, obviously, NIL playing significantly into that. Jimbo Fisher answering questions. Nick Saban maybe taking some shots, which tells you that it's obviously having a factor. Saban does not like to be dethroned on the recruiting trail. And then tier two, you have Texas, Penn State, North Carolina, Mm. and Clemson. So if you're pulling out your 247 rankings, these will start to deviate some here. And the tier two schools have one or so top 30-ish player, four or more top 100 players, and 11 or so top 300. So it just starts to step down a little bit, Alan, as we go. Tier 2.5, I've got LSU by themselves. LSU has a deceivingly good class. It's a small class. It's very top-heavy. They just don't have enough top 300s, but they're very top-heavy. Now, here's the interesting thing with their class. They took 13 transfers. 13. And a lot of those guys are not that highly thought of. So overall, factoring the transfers, different view. I'm just looking at their actual high school talent and they're non-transferring from the portal talent here so 2.5 for them and yeah it's in between two and three tier three metric again zero to one top 30 two plus top 100 
eight plus top 300. So you start to see the top 100s fall off. You become a lot less top heavy as you get to tier three. What we've said before, Alan, is you really cannot win a championship if your average roster is tier three. Cannot be done. You have to be tier one or tier two. Uh, and if you get to tier three, you ain't doing it. It's not going to cut it. So one year, fine. Multiple years, not going to get done. Tier three schools this year are Michigan, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. Notre Dame was highly thought of by 247. Not so highly thought of by the tier system here because they don't have a top-heavy class. They have a lot of players in the middle. They're kind of your, your uh, fantasy football replacement level strategy. And I just don't – that doesn't win, in my opinion. So fine, you know, good first It'll class win. for Marcus Freeman. It just won't win a national championship. Yeah, it's highly rated, right. But I think if you're breaking it down, you're like, well, it's a nice roster. But when they come up against the the Bama, UGAs, Ohio States of the world, they're, they're one step beneath it talent-wise. Tier 4 is Kentucky. Great for them. Missouri, pretty surprising. Miami, and then Florida. Now, each of these are constructed a little bit differently. You can start to look at some are more top-heavy than others, but they're all right around this tier four range, which is, you know, probably zero top 30 players or maybe close to one, just like Florida. Uh, You probably have one or so, maybe two at the most top 100 players, and then you really only have five or so top 300 players, and that's kind of what these tiers look like. And then going down the list, tier four and a half is Florida State. Uh, Their class is a little bit weaker than Florida's when it comes to what their top 100 and top 300 looks like. And then Stanford, who's ranked ahead of Florida in 247, is tier five. And then Tennessee and Auburn, who are both ranked ahead of Florida, are tier six in this one because they just don't have top 100 players. They have no top 100 players. And again, in our ranking system, that matters way more than having three guys ranked at 285. Um, right, whereas 247 rewards that. And that's kind of the way to look at it is basically what I want you to think of when you think of these tiers is you don't need to think, okay, what exactly is this? Tier one and tier two is what you need. Tier one and tier two are top heavy, talent laden, top 100 and 300 classes. Clemson, we said this before, Clemson succeeds and they did it again this year, Alan. Clemson right now is a tier two recruiting school on our list, but they have two players in the top 30. And they consistently do this. And when they hit on those elite guys, it changes the narrative of their program. And we've said it once, I'll say it a million more times, you have to do that. And so Clemson succeeds by not being in tier one because they hit on those top 30 guys. And if Florida wanted to win not being a tier one school, which is not the plan for Billy Napier, if they wanted to win in tier two, that is how you do it. Clemson, again, this year signs that kind of scott. So I think Dabo understands maybe he can't recruit. He, he can't recruit with Bama, UGA, Ohio State, and AM the world, but he can pluck these guys he loves and then build a quality roster behind it and things can work out for him. Yeah, and he's obviously someone who values culture really, really, really highly and is able to identify guys who are fit his system and culture probably at a better rate than most people, right? So that he's able to translate that, like, which of these four-star guys is actually – I don't care what's the no, what's that next to his name. I'm going to slide him into my system. These five-star guys rather than these other five-star guys are the type of people I want. So that's their skill set that they've demonstrated to be true over and over again. Now we'll see if they can maintain that with that heavy staff turnover. But, um, yeah, they've been like the model of that. You kind of have to find your niche if you're not going to be Alabama. Um, and so they've been really successful with that. So what this means for Florida is we said you have to be tier two or tier one to compete for a national title. Florida's roster after this recruiting class, and we'll cover it coming into the season based upon who transfers in, who transfers out. Right now is sitting below a tier two as an overall roster. So you would not expect them to be able to compete for a national title. And this is where next year's class and the class after 
realistically could put you into that tier two talent place. So where is Florida as far as how soon could they compete for a national title? Definitely not this upcoming year in a magical situation the year after. If you get elite quarterback play from Richardson, you fill in the gaps in the transfer portal, you get some hits, you could do it that soon. But overall roster construction, again, you're probably looking at, you know, year three of the three-year test where you'd see that significant, like sort of, you know, reward of a tier one, tier two roster. I think traditionally I would very much agree with you. I don't know how to do the calculus on this with the transfer portal. That in a positive sense, you can make a huge move in year two. If you have the right stars, if you have the right quarterback, let's say you have the right elite defensive or offensive lineman, you can fill in the gaps with, you can find a linebacker, you can find a safety, you can find a running back, those type of things. Right. Um, yeah, I think you could do it faster. You could also, it could brick you, obviously, if you're another kind of school. Here's what I would say about Florida's class this year. I don't think it's going to be an anchor around this class the next couple of years. Sometimes these transition classes, either because of what they're rated or, um, I believe it was Mullen or McElwain, now I'm mixing up classes, would just everybody, there's so much attrition. There's, I think it's Mullen's transition class. There's nobody in it from like four years ago. And that will brutalize you. Now, in the transfer portal, maybe you can make it up. Now, it's not a guarantee. I think you still have to recruit at a really, really high level. You aspire to be Bama. Like, we have an amazing class. Hey, you know what? We could do an extra running back. Who's the best running back in the country? We're going to bring him in. Again, using them as your example is not good. Right now, Florida is not there. Um, But that's where they want to get to. And you still have to recruit at a high level. I, I could see Florida competing. Now, maybe not winning, but competing, maybe making a playoff, being in the SEC title game in year two. If things break right and things, there's a lot of ifs, ifs, ifs. There's enough talent on the roster right now to make that kind of move. I don't expect that to happen because of the other people who are ahead of Florida, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. No, it's not. And I think that's what we're trying to set up here is, is, you know, Florida and Napier. I think if he were sitting right here with us doing this podcast would be nodding his head in total agreement. I want to get my roster to tier one. That's his goal. He knows that is how you can really give yourself the best chance to win a national title. And that's why obviously Alan and I are excited about Billy Napier. Now the question is, can he do it? We're going to find out, but he is aiming everything towards that goal. And we will chronicle that journey along the way. All right. You mentioned the portal, Alan portal news has been big. Something that crushed me occurred. Mm. And I seem to be on a roll every year, losing a guy that I've anointed as like my favorite guy. So of course, with Chester Kimbrough, bang the drum, make him a nickel back. I love the guy. He goes to Michigan State, becomes a starter, has a nice season. The guy that I've been calling for on the film studies, I mean, just from last year, yeah. the first second we saw him play a football game, this guy should be playing right now. He should be starting as our best linebacker. Didn't play, didn't play, didn't play. Finally gets in against UCF, gets spit on. Pushes a guy, gets ejected. We lose because he's basically not in there as a one-man run stopper. Mysteriously enters the portal, takes his name back out of the portal. His uncle says he was supposed to be in the portal. They took it out with against his will, and now he's gone. So Tyron Hopper has gone to Missouri, presumably to be with his cousin, which is, in my Tyrone opinion, Hopper. Alan. Yeah, Tyron. Sorry. No, no. Well, Tyron Hopper. Tyron is, is his cousin. Yeah. Yes. And that's going to get quite. His uncle is Tyron as well. By the way, it, the okay. whole thing is madness. Tyron with an E, whereas Tyron is T Y apostrophe. Anyway. Hopper, that killed me. Yeah. This was this not to mention, and you're going to talk about this when you get into the roster construction. 
That was a position group that Florida could not have afforded to lose what was potentially going to be one of the best linebackers in the SEC, let alone on a roster with very little experience. A guy who had been here, had been in the program, now is going to get an upgrade in coaching, development, defensive schematic. It's brutal beyond belief. I can't understand why he would do it. Obviously, it seems like family was important, but to to go down in school... You go from Florida to Missouri, so you're taking a step down. You're staying in your division. You're going to worse weather. You're playing against lesser athletes, and you were entrenched as the guy. You were going to be the guy next year. You were emerging. It blows my mind that you could ever transfer out of that, and it's brutal for this roster to lose him. There's no like logical sense to it, right? So you would never, you couldn't come up with like a football reason or a fit reason. There's stuff I guess we'll never know what his conversations were with the incoming staff or what personal aspirations or personal problems he might have. So that's where you have to go to these weird narratives like, okay, he just was going to play with his cousin. And if that was at Missouri or that was at Fresno State or whatever. And you know what? He's free to do that. Maybe it's not a wise choice, but guess what? I guess you're allowed to do that. I don't know. It it was a blow to this Florida football team. I can't imagine a scenario where the coaches were like, yeah, we don't care. Just go in the portal or we're encouraging you to look in the portal. Um, man. But it, it's going to affect this team if they don't find somebody either through some big-time development or – another player because this linebacking core as we'll get to is in a little bit of rough shape it's just crazy to think that florida is now going to play against their two former starting linebackers well hopper started at the end right but hopper and diabate next season yep utah respectively in missouri and that you're going to see hopper for one probably two more seasons it's just i don't obviously I, I just dislike all of the transferring back and forth but this one really really hurt it didn't make sense and it hurt. And again, you're free to do what you want. Obviously, if you're Hopper, you have to imagine. I mean, if I was Napier, I would have been doing everything I could have to kept this guy. You put the film on, you know what kind of player he is. You need this kind of player. He's a top 100, top 60, 50 kind of guy. Too. I mean, and he's just putting it on film. He's absolutely elite with his instincts. This dude can play football and you need that guy. And so, you know, they had to have tried everything to keep him. And he was, he just wanted to go and you can't stop him. The second guy on this list also. Very curious move. Kamori Gamble goes to UCF? Yeah, I don't know. That's bizarre. This is another one of those things where if there's feedback that he's getting from the staff or just things that we're not sure, maybe family issues, again, personal aspirations, maybe personal problems, whatever. I don't know. But it seemed like a guy who is a lock to be the starter this year that you know, again, we're going to talk about these coaches are going to have different evaluations. They're going to play different people, but in terms of production and playing time, I, he was at least going to play. He wasn't. I can't imagine that he was going to be on the bench. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe somebody enterprising reporter will ask these guys, and I don't know if they'll get a straight answer, but could at least ask the question. Well, let's talk about sample size, tight end, and Napier's offense Shanahan Kyle Shanahan's offense is a feature position it is an NFL position you block and you go for passes and you run NFL offense UCF large sample size with the with Malzahn 
basically doesn't use tight ends. They're not, they don't even exist. So unbelievably head scratching. It just kills me when you see people make these decisions and you think who is advising them, who is in their corner, who is telling them that's a good idea. Right. And I don't think we'll miss Gamble nearly as much as we'd miss. Hopper no, we won't. But again, it's term, one of those but... things where if I, you know, just looking out for the best interest of each party, if I'm talking to Hopper, it's like, okay, give me the reasons why you want to leave. There better be some unbelievable, like earth shattering reasons why you have to go. And if you're Gamble, it's the same thing. Like, okay, well, Maybe you go somewhere else, but why would you go to UCF? Like yeah, you're you, like you're like erasing yourself as a football player. Yeah. Like, what is the purpose for that? It makes no sense to go to that system. It doesn't weird. make any sense. Yeah, if he got in the portal and gets picked up by like UGA Bama or whatever, it's like, well, I think you had a pretty good spot here, but whatever. Fine. Sure. You know what? Great. You upgraded for a year. I don't know. I mean, I don't love that mentality. That's but it's not just, good either, but at least we you it's just weird. And obviously sense. you rest your hat in the fact that Napier's a culture guy. He's building a roster of players who want to be here. You can tell the recruits that he has. A lot of them are very well spoken. They're football savvy. Um, it's unfortunate. So that that was the news on the outward side. We've already named the other guys we had lost. We won't rehash them. On the inside, Alan, some of these guys we have covered, obviously running back Montreal Johnson coming from Louisiana, freshman of the year in the Sun Belt. Nice pick up there. Mm-hmm. Guy who knows the system. This one I love. It's probably my favorite one. Uh, DB Jalen Kimber from Georgia. He was a starter, Allen, this season. Took a shoulder injury, which basically knocked him out for the whole year, which allowed the way for Ringo, their sensational freshman, to come play. Uh, but this dude, top-end talent, NFL player in the future, everything you want, elite speed, elite quickness, man-to-man defender, press defender, is now on Florida's team, which is now going to give them three on the roster excellent corners. I love this pickup from Florida. This is a big, I think, transfer pickup. Yeah, and you hopefully he's going to fulfill that potential. But yeah, huge uh, talent profile pickup. Yeah, and a guy, again, um, yeah. who earned being a starter. This is not like the highly ranked top 100 guy who went to Georgia, didn't sniff playing time. He was the starter and didn't lose it because of play. So that's nice. Obviously, Jack Miller, we've talked about providing... Um, you know, competition for Anthony Richardson, a guy who I think is going to be a good fit for this system. He may never see the field, but pushing Richardson. And then I think this is probably the the most important thing for what Florida was weak on here mm-hmm. is picking up uh, Osiris Torrance, the the highly regarded lineman who can play guard or tackle from Louisiana, a guy who most think have an NFL future, along with uh, Cameron Waits, who is a monstrous man, 6'8", 375, who they like as a potential quality player down the road so thoughts on the guys florida's pulled in yeah from this osiris list. torrance is like you know he can't be any more anonymous than a group of five offensive linemen but when he came into the portal everybody was immediately like this guy because they're just not a lot of quality offensive linemen that you can find who you could plug in and play right those guys don't leave typically and the guys that can level up like that are very few so we mentioned Clemson, who very famously does not take transfers. That's part of their culture. We're not taking transfers. That's going to have to change for them. And I think the first guy or one of the first guys that they offered a transfer spot to was Osiris Torrance. So that should tell you a lot about how he's viewed amongst those big-time programs. And, you know, he looked around. Like, I don't think he just was like slam dunk. I'm going to leave and come follow Napier, but he did. I think that bodes well for Napier and for the team on the field next year. And we don't know what spot he's going to play, but he's going to be on the field. And this is just massive. 
pickup. If he, I mean, I don't know if he'll play in the NFL, but he's at least profiles as a guy who most likely will or will have a shot at it. So that leads us into our roster. Mm -hmm. And if you've been following this closely, Florida's at 91. Now, in college football, you have to get to 85. You cannot have 91 scholarship players, Alan. Napier addressed this directly. He said, of course, there will have to be some attrition before the next period. We expect players to go through our spring program and then probably not end up where they want to be evaluation-wise or whatever the case may be, and then roll off and go somewhere else. Your thoughts on Florida being at 91 and needing to get to 85. This feels very NFL-like, well, if you will, with sort of a... This is what... This, Nick Saban used to get in trouble for this, right? Yeah. He used to bloat his numbers and then cut cut guys, essentially. Mm-hmm. Does it feel like Napier is doing something similar, or is this because he has to manage what happened from one roster to the other? So it's maybe not as bad as it seems currently. Again, the news out of the NCAA and other things, no one really knows. So there's some... Several super seniors, right? The COVID year, does that count against that 85 number? Guys like Trey Dean, Amari Bernie. If it doesn't, that knocks a few off. There's also some guys who used to be walk-ons who are awarded scholarships. Often that's at a year at a time kind of a thing that you maybe move on and off. So that number could be a lot closer to 85 right now. But I think the real, I think we could get down to almost 85 immediately. If the we understand the rules and things like that. But there's also the idea that they're going to want to take more people. So there's going to have to be a healthy level of attrition. And I think there would be. And I don't know if there's a guy like Emory Jones who's going to graduate. He doesn't transfer because he has to finish out one semester. You don't transfer with one semester left. I don't think that's super wise. You stick around and graduate. That makes a lot of sense, right? Um, and so there might be more just very easy, not because of, hey, I lost the battle, but hey, I'm just sticking around because I want to finish my degree type of thing too. So I think the staff is comfortable with it where they're at. Um, Obviously didn't seem like he was worried about getting to the number. No, and I think that's a good way to look at it is you have the winter portal, which I like that. I like that Billy (laughs) calls that. Yeah, maybe. It sounds sounds nice. It reminds me like Game of Thrones, but I like the winter portal. And then you can basically have a spring portal, which are sort of your two formalized free agency periods Uh, in college football if you're thinking about when people are going to hit the wire and in the nfl this is very similar to what happens towards the end of training camps if you've watched hard knocks or you follow the nfl closely you get into that middle to late august early september period allen and players are teams are having to waive guys they like but they cannot get to the roster level they can't keep everyone in the practice squad so some of these guys they have to let go but they like them and other teams say hey i need a receiver i'll pick that guy up and what you mentioned is key. Napier plans on shopping for a few of these positions of need. If teams that maybe have four or five guys they really like, and one guy's like, hey, you know what? I don't want to compete for this spot, or maybe I'm just on the outside looking in. But at Florida, given where we are, he's got veteran leadership. And who knows? But assuming there's the right guy there, things get a little tricky with how it works. But I think Napier is counting on the fact that if you do something we have begged for, which would be transparent evaluation of your program. You tell guys, we've talked about this every year, sit them down. Hey, look, here's what the film says. Here's what I think you could become. Here's how you fit on the roster. Give them the true medicine. And then say, as a player, of course, you control your destiny to a certain degree. But I want to tell you as a coach where we see this going for you, rather than the Dan Mullen philosophy. Everyone's going to play. Everyone's going to get PT, see what happens, right? Formalize it because then your players can make a choice. Hey, you know what? I don't love it. Kind of sounds like I'm struggling maybe or I'm not fitting in correctly or there's a better fit for me somewhere else. 
And then it works for both parties. And I think Napier is a guy who's looking out for what's best for his players. I don't think he would say, hey, Alan, I think you're a contributor for this team, but I think you should move on because I don't like you or you're not great. I think it'd be more of, hey, you know what? This system perhaps is not working for you as well as maybe this other system would. And perhaps that might be a better fit. So stuff will have to get done, but pay attention to that number as Florida tries to address some needs, get beneath the 85 essentially, and then back up to the 85 uh, as you mentioned, Alan, to kind of fill out this this roster. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, well said. And I think if you're on the fringe, like you, it would behoove you to stick around and say, what is my actual place? Because this staff might view me completely differently. Maybe I'm just in the wrong spot. They've been having me play outside linebacker. I need to be inside linebacker or whatever. I think we learned that we couldn't trust the staff's previous valuations on certain players. Not everybody, right? But like, why are you playing this guy at star? Why is this safety playing? Why is this offensive lineman playing? So there's lots of room for movement. And then guys, it's going to shake out and you're going to see like where you're at. So certainly it's smart to stay though and see what this new staff thinks about you. Yeah, for sure. All right. Draft news. Got some guys going to the league. We talked about Elam, right? He's, he's gone. Malik Davis gone. Zach Carter gone. And then the guy we're going to talk about now, uh, of which Damian Pierce, who we knew was leaving. Again, another player who we just kept highlighting on our film studies every week. What do we say? Ways to improve. Get Pierce the ball more. Why is he not getting more carries? Why is he not the feature back? What the heck is going on? Well, it's nice, Alan, when you put all the time we put into this podcast. And of course, we're not even at practice, right? We're not on the field. But this should show you as listeners of this podcast the power of watching film. That's why it's such a great thing if you're trying to evaluate a player is the film doesn't lie. And the film never lied about Pierce. The dude was phenomenal. And now it's almost like the rest of the country's figuring it out. He's tearing up the senior bowl. He's tearing up drills. He's tearing up everything they could possibly give him. He looks like a polished pro. And on our team, six to seven carries a game. Criminal. Yeah, and... They show these drills. I think most of you probably seen it in pass pro where he's just stoning guys. That's something that NFL teams love. If you're going to have a rookie running back in your team that you can have out there on third down, 
who could play special teams, which Pierce did. I mean, that's just catnip for these guys. Now, he might not get up into the first round, but wherever he gets picked, teams are going to love him. And, and then I said this during the year. It sucks for Florida, but it does not suck for Damian Pierce to have six carries a game. That's now a plus in his favor, the fact that he has so so little mileage on him. And right now, that's golden. Now, if you you know, if you're like, you know, a guy who's carried the ball 30 times a game, well, we're, we'll pick you, but maybe a little lower because we're concerned about how long you're going to be in the league. So, yeah, Pierce, I think, is going to be a really quality player for whoever gets him. Yeah, no doubt. He he excels in every phase. And so just another frustrating thing to put to bed there. But good for Pierce. I'm so excited for Pierce. He's a guy that we have highlighted. He's the kind of guy that makes me still like college football. At times, I for get sure. very disillusioned with the state of how most of these guys, it seems like most of these guys don't care at all about the school that I went to, got an undergrad and graduate degree from that I love. And he loved being a Gator. He represented the school so well. He never said a single negative thing. And you you just want those guys to get some shine. So congrats to him. Hard work's paying off. And we will follow his career as well. Okay, it is now time for the Allen Williams Too Deep Analysis. A first <laughs> ever in the history of this podcast this early. Here we are in February and you have drawn a Too Deep on the sheet of paper here. It looks very nice. You've got sort of some guesses here. But Allen... First, tell us why you chose to do this. What was the exercise purpose here to kind of put this out here in early February? I had no idea you were doing it. You showed right. up to the booth and you said, hey, look, I did this. And I, said, I, I wanted to get a feel for where the roster was at because we're thinking about what is the staff going to pursue portal-wise and what are the positions of real need? And it, just looking at the roster, it, it was hard to wrap my mind around it. So let me just try and sketch this out and take a stab at it. Two things that came with right away. Some position groups seem... Fairly straightforward. Now, again, there's guys that this coaching staff might like more than the other ones, but and some of them I had no idea. Uh, I'll take linebacker, for instance. We have no idea what guys like Derek Wingo, one Black, Scooby Williams. Like, I, What does the staff think about these guys? Where are they going to play them? Now, there's only so many guys on the roster, so a lot of these guys are going to get playing time. But like, it's a total guess. Like, I have no idea. Um, and so... This is super early. We don't know if all these guys that I wrote down on this too deep are even going to be on the team. Right. But it was kind of a good exercise to see where the roster is at currently. So overall impressions are we have some some strengths probably and we yeah. have some weaknesses, right? But that's overly simplified. Tell us about some of the things that jumped off of you. You kind of said it they just fill themselves in. What are some of like the hey, we're strong here and things look good here and we even could like switch some guys around and still be good here. What does it look like on the two deep for those positions? Well, I think in the secondary feels like the strongest corner and safety safety was actually just a total guess, right? I don't know what this team thinks of Trey Dean. Is he a starter? Is he not going to play at all? But there's a ton of guys, Torrance McDaniel, Corey Collier, who's a top 50 player last year who didn't see the field because of the depth in front of him. There's a lot of guys that they could play. And so that corner nickel, Again, what do they think about nickel? I have no idea. A, a lot of decent options at corner as well, right, to start off. And then you might see some guys jump the line. Maybe Abraham, who started on the last half, does not play at all because they like Jordan Young or they like somebody else, right, who's on the team. Um, so we don't know. Uh, but there's enough bodies there, enough high-profile candidates with the right recruiting profile that 
you know, whoever wins these battles is probably going to be decent, right? Um, it seems like Jason Marshall is going to be the, you know, shoe in to play. Other than that, I don't know. And you would think Rashad Torrance is going to play. But other than those two guys, I I don't know. There's a lot of options in the quarterback room, you know? You have a star in Richardson. You have enough guys underneath him. Jack Miller really rounds that space out where you feel good about who's going to play in probably the pecking order of I think everybody knows their spot. Um, we might lose one of those two freshmen that we'd signed last year, um, but that would be probably normal. If you sign two guys in one class, probably one of them's going to leave at some point. Um, so that seemed like the strength of the team immediately, that the, those spots, the secondary and quarterback, you know, there's some stuff that's okay, running back, tight end. Those are probably fine right now. They don't really like, oh, wow, or I'm not super concerned. All right, so obviously quarterback you mentioned, I think one of the best QB rooms we've had top to bottom. In previous years, you had two guys and then nobody. One guy, nobody, nobody. And now we have a lot of guys who are competent, highly ranked passers, and they have various skill sets and they have different skill sets, which is exactly what you want if you're Billy Napier and you're starting in year one. That's great. You mentioned the other spots. Obviously, corner, I think we have an embarrassment of riches at which I think in modern college football is one of the most important position groups to have. That should be a huge strength for Florida. And if we can find a strong safety to go with presumably Torrance at free safety, this defense on the back end should be really, really good. All right. Now the weaknesses Hmm. where another defensive spot is a glaring hole, but there are some other things. What jumped out at you as, oh, this is going to be almost impossible to predict and, or, you know, we're weak here. So the defensive line has some guys like we'll recognize, of course, Gervin Dexter and Brenton Cox, but behind them, it gets pretty thin pretty quickly. This is a place where I think the frontline guys are probably going to be fine. Um, you got Princely, Cox, Dexter. Again, I don't know really what this team is going to deploy, 3-4, 4-3, or how they're going to think about these defensive linemen. This is just a guess still. But behind those guys is guys who haven't played a lot. Now, they could be good. We don't know. And that makes me a little worried. Now, they might look at it and have seen these guys and go, actually, we feel great about it. So this could be a complete non-issue post-spring ball, depending on how their evaluation of it. But there's just a lot of guys who have not seen the field at all. And, you know, I think that's true. You're going to have position groups like that in college football where your backups just haven't played yet and you don't know. Offensive line, again, is still rough. I mean – Torrance really puts an anchor there, and you'd think Garage, White, Torrance are going to play in some combo. There's some other guys there who I have no idea what they think about Cameron Waits, that transfer. You know, there's some guys who have not played at all who've recruited the last couple of years. So there's enough bodies there that you think you could, you know, maybe get an offensive line, but there might be a couple of weak links in there where, you know, our left guard or our. Well, maybe not guard. Our center or our right tackle are like, man, this is just not working out. So humor me with our, yeah. let's just go left tackle on your two deep is. Garage still. Right. I would think Obviously. that. Obviously. Anchor, right? Yeah. So he's super check mark. That guy is a top level, you know, for the most part, SEC left tackle. All right. Left guard. I mean, if you're going to play Ethan White where yeah. he was. Top. I mean, he was, our, in my opinion, our best yeah. lineman last and year. And you could play him, so, obviously, at right guard or yeah. left guard. The two for two. He was an absolute baller on film. All right. Mm-hmm. Center. I mean. There really isn't another guy on the roster other than Kingsley. There's guys who obviously you can move a guard over from to play center, but there's that's pretty much it. Yeah. And he's fine. Yeah. 
sometimes better, sometimes worse, but fine is a grade we'll give him. All right, let's go to let's go to right guard. If you're gonna put Torrance here at right guard, then that immediately becomes like a, maybe your best spot. I don't know. Yeah, and that's been a weak spot for right. Florida. Like Reese, fine. Braun struggled, mm-hmm. right? So this could be a big upgrade, right? And then then you're gonna the most obvious candidates would be Braun or Tarquin there at right tackle. And in theory, Braun yeah, I, is the guy you would like to see yeah. become that kind of guy because he has a lot more athleticism than Tarquin. Or maybe you move Torrance to right tackle and then Braun plays guard. And Braun just has struggled at guard so much. But you never know. New coaching, new system, zone blocking. Everything is going to be very different. And, yep. and a guy like Braun could excel, a guy who should be very, very good. But no DeLance. No DeLance, can, right. Thanks for that. And so it seems like there's the baseline there. But behind them, again. Same problem, right? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, and again, we might they might love a couple of these guys who were freshmen last year, who of course were not going to play. Um, so we don't know. There might be some gyms there. They took a bunch of guys. I doubt any of the freshmen from this class is going to be slated to play. But there's a few guys in there they've recorded, recruited the last couple of years who just, you know, especially last year's freshmen. You would never expect a freshman to play, although certain guys do. Um, but that shouldn't be the expectation. They they might be better along the way and then you know receiver just feels like ah blah you know like fine the the all the notable names are back other than copeland whittemore shorter henderson i I like those guys a lot of unproven guys behind them if if you could go in there into the portal and and pull a guy i don't know if that's possible because probably most of the guys who've been really impactful are already gone so that's a place where I think we could struggle a little bit. Maybe not. Yeah. Pro- also, the benefit of Napier's system is we're going to run a lot more two wide receiver sets. Mm-hmm. Then things get interesting because when you're talking about two wide receivers and your play action comes involved, a guy like Henderson becomes dangerous. Good route runner, good double move guy, mm-hmm. going to get favorable matchups, work the whole field. And then if you can combine him with a Whittemore underneath guy, wiggle guy, uh, or a shorter possession guy, big body, you can start to create. It's very different, the offense Florida's going to run. So sure. there's different things you look for, and we're going to see how Napier deploys that. But certainly right now, it's not the bevy of riches, perhaps, that Florida would want to have. And it would have been nice to have had a guy of Copeland's speed and stature on this team. Again, another curious move for him. But he, he did go to a, a high-powered, potent passing offense in Maryland, which is surprising, but true. And then linebacker is interesting because there's a probably – on the team, maybe if you're going to look at just their high school profile, maybe the most talented group. Positionally, it's hard to figure out how is the coaching staff going to deploy them. Ventura Miller comes back, and you're kind of like, when he came back, I was like, eh, whatever. Now I'm like, man, they might really, really need him. So, like I said, Derek Wingo, Chief Border, Scooby Williams, these guys are all really highly rated guys. They have not played much at all. And most of them are like still some of those tweener kind of guys. I don't know where they're, the coaching staff is going to think about their fit. So that's a big, big question mark. When that um, too deep, if they release the too deep after fall practice, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how that linebacker room shakes out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. As a coach, the coach in me just loves like what you just said gets me so excited. Like give me talented players who don't know what they can do yet, who are unproven and give me practices and let, let me find out what they can do. Let me find out for them what they can do so they can see what they can do and then begin to lay the foundations of growth and development and what you can become. And I'm sure Napier is excited about that. So linebacker, perhaps our biggest weakness right now entering the season, but also with so much talent out there, 
if you get a couple of these guys to develop, they could be really, really very good. Uh, we'll see, you know, Tony's a very tactical defensive coordinator, which is different. He's going to hopefully put these guys in position to succeed more often than just, we're going to run this same exact system, nickel every single time. But obviously, if you imagine Hopper in this group, it changes the entire totally. dynamic. And that's what a loss this is. If you go Hopper and Miller and a bunch of talented guys, whoa, that's what you want. And that's why that loss, I think, is illustrative of just how brutal that was. Now you have Miller, an experienced guy who lacks speed sideline to sideline, more of a bigger kind of run-stopping linebacker. But he's got experience, which will help in a bunch of guys who don't have really experience. Bernie, who just sort of never has fit well. It will be interesting to watch this group for sure. And then lastly, the guy that I'm sure people are intrigued about is Demarcus Bowman, right? I don't know where he fits on this too deep. I assume Montreal Johnson is like the baseline, right? If you can't beat him out, he's going to play above you. The staff likes him a lot, right? It's well I think said. He's, he's going to be the baseline as well. Well said, yeah. Right, and Nick on White, right? We like. He's, oh, yeah. But he's hurt right now, so he's not going to get those reps in and the spring. And that's going to hurt bad in a new yeah. coaching staff to miss those early reps like that. But I think, you know, they've seen enough of him. They like him. The running back room is not that deep. He's going to play oh, or for at sure. least get reps. For sure. Bowman, I guess to a lesser extent, Lingard. I can't imagine Lingard at this point in his career becomes anything. But Bowman is young enough. If they can get him to figure out, obviously he's the most explosive guy in that room. So we could see him as a starter, and we could see him not play. I think everything's you know, on the table for him. And here's what's going to be great, and this is refreshing. So there's going to be a lot of things for us to chronicle heading into this season. One, and we talked about this, if you watched the film review uh, on Napier's offense on YouTube, which is now racked up, I think, more than you know, 20-plus thousand views, which, wow. is, which is great. Um, makes me wish I really would have gone back and edited out uh, mixing up the quarterback for Louisiana <laughs> and the receiver. That I kind of hate that every single day I think about it. But... You know, Napier's offense, like Kyle Shanahan's offense, is somehow two things at once. A really exciting offense that runs the ball a lot. Those two things can be true. And that's true of Shanahan's offense. Most people would tell you that. Now with Garoppolo there, it's a little more limited. But it's a winning style of offense, but it's very different than, you know, an air raid offense, which I love. It's very different than we've run under Mullen. But what it does, Alan, is it features a running back. It's a more traditional, you got one running back and then your second guy and maybe a third that occasionally plays. But the, the, the share of carries is going to be much more. We have a guy, which you mentioned. And, uh, you know, one of those guys is going to become the guy. And like you said, Louisiana has a, has a great track record of developing high level running backs. They're good at this. So I'm at ease. I don't have to fear what I feared before, which is they're going to pick the wrong guy. They're going to do a timeshare. Whoever comes out of this this spring and fall campus, the guy is going to be the guy. And if during the season they falter, there will be another guy who will get a shot at it. So I just, right now, maybe I'm too I'm jumping the gun too early based upon what they've done in Louisiana, but I have confidence they will find out who that guy is. So if Bowman is the guy, he'll be the guy. And we won't have to be on message boards saying, why is this guy not playing? Why is he not getting carries? What the heck's going on? Blah, blah, blah. That makes me feel good. And I do think, as you said, there are arrows in the quiver, so to speak, at the running back position. There are guys to look at to see what and who emerges in that spot. So we'll see. If Bowman can do it, this is his time. This is the time. This is a perfect scenario for him, obviously, as a highly touted guy. So we will see what happens. All right. Staff hires. Florida staff is complete. A couple of guys we added um, post our show. 
and we'll talk about them now. And I'm going to run through them in order of the ones we already know. So obviously, Billy Napier, head coach, assistant O-line, Darnell Stapleton from the Steelers, assistant O-line, Rob Sale from the Giants. So there's two NFL guys. Of course, Rob Sale, really a college guy, coached mainly in college, right? Spent a year or two in the Giants. Running back coach, Jabari Jaluk, Louisiana guy. Wide receiver, Kerry Colbert, USC guy. So there's another NFL player. Tight end, William Piegler. And that's kind of your, um, you know, we've been calling him like the nerd staff, but kind of like <laughs> a brainiac coaching spot there, right? Co-DC, Patrick Tony. There's kind of, again, your calculated brainiac coach there. Co-DC, D-line, Sean Spencer. Coach of the Giants. Had, had a great run at Penn State coaching D-line. Fun fact about Sean Spencer, he never played D-line. He played safety. Yeah, he had his weird. whole career a really good D-line coach. So there's that for you. Outside linebacker Mike Peterson, UF fame, right? Coached South Carolina for multiple years. Still relatively new in his coaching career. But I love, again, I love how the staff is put together. You've got former UF player here in Mike Peterson. You have NFL players. You have brainiacs. You have NFL guys. You have college guys. Inside linebacker coaches Jay Bateman, who was the co-DC at UNC, had been a DC for the past eight, nine years of his career, takes a step down in role to join Billy Napier's uh, team, which you like to see this, right? Now, some people have a lot of opinions about Jay Bateman's defensive play calling. He can be very aggressive, but I'll tell you why he's on the staff. One reason and one reason only. He is a guru of something we talked about last year, Alan, which is simulated pressures. The same thing that Dan Lanning brought to Kirby Smart is what Bateman is bringing to Florida. Simulated pressures are his thing. He's been doing them probably before almost anyone else in college football, and that is why he's on the staff. Make no mistake about it. And he's a, known as a decent recruiter, And he's too. a good recruiter. So, again, I, I like There's a reason for every single one of these guys to be here, right? Cornerback coach Corey Rimmon, that was the best hire, I think, of the college offseason for anyone. And we have, of course, our strength and conditioning coach, Mark Cox. So, all in all, Alan, this staff was rated number one. Can you rate this stuff? No, you really can't. But they did. It was rated number one, I think, by uh, one of the publications as the best new staff that was put together. Uh, you and I have raved about this staff because it is intelligently constructed, right? There's a purpose for these various guys. I love that. I like it a lot. Now that the staff's complete, uh, your thoughts on the staff. Yeah, like it's it, interesting it. because the late hires, Spencer, Jay Bateman, were not like... Didn't move the needle name-wise at all. But also were not like rumored to be coming. No, right, not at all. So Spencer's really interesting, Big time recruiter. I mean, his nickname is Coach Chaos. So I don't know. And they that's the guy they slotted into that very coveted co DC spot, right? Um very interesting. I think he's the guy who is the big swing here for me. If he works out, this could be huge. If he doesn't, that could be the place where like maybe you would have wanted to aim a little higher. Who knows, right? Jay Bateman, people don't didn't love him at UNC as a defensive play caller, but he's the inside linebackers coach. Like, it doesn't matter. He's not going to be calling the plays. Um, and then Rob Sales also, you know, I think the has the offensive coordinator title on his resume now with Florida. So he's going to be a guy who's very influential in the construction of the game plan and things like that. So the thing I like up and down, everybody's either known as primarily a recruiter or also a very good recruiter. And that's what the Florida needs right now. Definitely. Um, I do like the swings we took. We talked about that. Um, we'll see how it shakes out. I, it's going to be really interesting. We'll, we won't know, 
But how does that, those co-DCs, Patrick, Tony, and Sean Spencer, I don't know if they could be more different in profile. How do those guys work together? Is that a good marriage? We'll see. Um, Sale and Napier have worked together a lot. That's He's the opposite of those guys. Like He was long rumored to be coming, and just we had to wait out to the end of the NFL season to hire him because um, that was Napier's guy from the beginning. Everyone was like, that's who he's going to hire. The other two were surprises. Yeah, I think for the co-DC stuff and then even the OC stuff, Billy Napier, it's Billy Napier's offense. So it's, sure. very, it's very much like Shanahan, although you know I'm a Dolphins fan. The Dolphins just hired right Kyle Shanahan's offensive coordinator, who was another bright football mind. We'll see if he works out. But a, a guy who I think can challenge Shanahan to a better system, Rob Sale is not the guy that's going to challenge Billy Napier X's and O's wise. So you could you could ding that if you wanted to. But I think at this stage of where Florida is building-wise, He's a recruiting-oriented guy, and that's what Florida needs the most right now. Billy's going to put a system in, get things going. Um, on the defensive side, I think the Sean Spencer hire, Tony, from everything we know, is going to be the architect of the defense. That co-DC title, I think, is a very savvy way if if they're able to manage it. If you're able to manage being a co-DC when in reality you're not a co-DC because someone else is going to have the authority to really probably create how we call the plays i'm going to call the plays and then you're going to do some other stuff right like you said does that work or does that not work it can work really well if sean spencer's the type guy who's like hey tony you really know what you're doing like you've got the tactical stuff on lock let me work on this other stuff or if he's like hey i want to call plays i want to have a heavy hand at what's going on or during the game tony makes a call and spencer's like i would never made that call and that can happen that can happen. So this will have to be balanced whenever you have this co-split of duties. But I like on paper what I think they're trying to accomplish with mm-hmm. this. I like that because let's put it this way. I don't think a guy like Sean Spencer, I could be wrong, comes to Florida at his stage just to be a D-line coach. Maybe. But with the co-DC title, here he is. And so What's now, a pay bump? And it's also, I mean, there's a difference thing too of like we construct the game plan together. Correct. And then tactically deploying it as it's moving, one person's going to have to be pulling the trigger on that. Obviously, you can't have necessarily two play callers, although you know, lots of people have input on what's happening. So if the communication and expectations are right and the egos are in check, anything can work. If not, it can be tough sailing. Yeah, it certainly can be. There's this really fun video you should find, by the way, that uh, my friend David Crabb showed me. It's from the Browns several years ago. It made the rounds because obviously, you know, San Francisco losing closely to go to the Super Bowl here. But <laughs> it's their current coach. Uh, I think it's Mike Pettigrew, whatever his name is, um, talking to Shanahan. They just get a turnover and he says, hey, we're about to go up two scores. If we score, uh, let's run the ball. And Shanahan gives him this incredible side eye. Doesn't say anything. Just looks at him. No words are said. And there's like a five second silence. And Shanahan's just eyeing him like, are you crazy? And then, you know, Mike says, oh, okay, you know what? No, you're the you're the OC. I trust you. Make the call you want to make. And he still side-eyes him, turns his head, and they wind up running a pass for a touchdown. But this is what I want to illustrate. The next clip on NFL Films is that the coach goes over to Johnny Manziel, who's the quarterback at the time. Yeah, take that in. Hey, Johnny. Hey, what do you think of that play call? What play call would you have called on that play? And he goes, that exact play call. And it's a funny way to say, like, in that moment... Here is your head coach, who's not the offensive coordinator. He hired Shanahan, who was known as one of the brightest offensive coordinators. In the moment when the game is tight, he wants to run the ball. He defers to Shanahan by saying he trusts him, 
And then he goes behind his back to ask Manziel because he doesn't trust him. And he was hoping to get some confirmation from Johnny Manziel that a run would have been better. Let's get it. So point is, these are humans. Those things are going to happen in big games. And part of the head coach's job is to manage how that works. And that will be something Napier, of, of course, is confident doing. But some new things for Florida to follow with and see how it goes here in, in year one. All right. Coaching corner. We have some. These are old. I really was very tempted to putting a YouTube film breakdown on both of these plays. It was such a wild NFL playoff season with almost every single game, literally every single game. I think after the division round coming down to a game when awesome. walk off something it was incredible. That's why I love the NFL. But there were two things that were just manic that I really wanted to do film breakdowns. And I probably should have because they probably would have gotten viewed quite a bit. But the Bucks went to cover zero. Very little time left in the game. They cannot afford to give up a field goal, Allen. They go cover zero, and they put a safety on Cooper Cup, who, as I like some people say, like, is he invisible out there? Like, what about this guy do you not need to know? He, he's a, a fake triple crown winner. There isn't such a thing. At wide receiver in the NFL, he's an absolute wrecking ball out there in every phase, and you put a safety on him. And if you don't know a lot about Cooper Cup, he gives the best and most technical football post-game interviews of anyone. He actually tells you what's happening in film study language. And this was maybe one of his best ones. They ask him afterwards, hey, what did you see? And he was at a loss because what he said was, well, at first I thought they were in two, cover two. And then I thought they went to zero. And you can tell he's questioning himself. I thought they went to zero and I saw the safety on me and I was supposed to run a decoy route. I just took off and, you know, Stafford knew the adjustment and, and he threw it to him. But even he was questioning himself, Alan. Like he couldn't really believe they were in cover zero. Like because it was so stupid. He thought to they do. must have blown the coverage. Like maybe they were pulling some Houdini. But no, the reality was they went to cover zero and put a safety on the best receiver in the NFL this year, productivity wise, when the game was on the line and Stafford just laid a cookie up there to win the game, which now has knocked Tom Brady out forever. What an incredible way to lose a game. But that was unbelievable like to me if I'm the head coach that's like an unforgivable sin for my DC like how you how could you ever go to that defense in that moment that was that was absolutely outrageous yeah and I mean props to Stafford and Cup for being able to you know complete the play because as you said that's not a route that it's just supposed to move the top off the defense you're not actually supposed to get the ball in that play but that Stafford Noticed it. He noticed it. He ran the route like he was supposed to run it. And, you know, it was one of the bigger plays in the last few years. Yeah, huge. And obviously credit is due game theory-wise. We love game theory, right? Uh, Stafford quickly recognized and trusted his read. Hey, they went to zero. Safety's down here. This is game theory. They're stupid enough to try to do this. I am not going to play into their hands by getting rid of the ball to a short underneath throw that runs time. I'm going to take my shot. That is what the defense is giving me. And he did it. And you should applaud that. But that's brutal. From a from a schematic point on defense, All right? Second thing, the Bills, who were the best passing defense in the NFL this year, were getting shredded by Kansas City. Kansas City was on fire in this game. They were on fire all the way until the first half of the next game. Uh, but the Bills are up three. There's 17 seconds left. 13. 13, sorry. Yeah, 13 seconds. And, they, and there's, you know, all they have to do, it's freezing cold, by the way. It's terrible. Can I just take a field goal? Just get any tackle inbounds. Get any stop inbounds. They decide on first down that they're going to put their safeties 45 yards off the ball, which is inexplicable enough. So Kansas City completes a pass, and then Kelsey goes back to the sideline and says, hey, look, 
if they're in that same defense again, just throw me the ball in the seam. Mahomes is like, great, I'll do it. Bingo. There you go, right? So you get Tyreek Hill, you get Kelsey, get your two best players completely unguarded because the Bills are basically playing a prevent a touchdown defense. Yeah, like there was one second left or something. Like there, yes. Like this is your moment to win the football game. Any tackle inbounds and the game is essentially over. What are you doing? What? Like they just lost their minds. They became so afraid of the moment. So the Bucks, on one hand were like so not afraid of the moment. They're doing something reckless. And the Bills are so conservative that they're going to back their safeties to a place where they're not even playing football anymore. To where they're basically saying, take the underneath 20, 25 yards, then take 15 more, timeout field goal, you know, or out of bounds field goal, whatever you want. We're going to give you those yards and hope you miss the field goal because we don't want to get a touchdown scored on us. It was wild. Remarkable fear-based call. What a great and, game and, that was, and though. horrifying result because, Alan, every year I say it on the podcast, I hate the NFL OT rules. If you look at Josh Allen's numbers this year, they're nothing sort of one of the greatest playoff runs in NFL history, and the guy doesn't get the freaking ball in overtime. It's criminal. It's wrong. I mean, the guy was unreal. He was unstoppable. And he has to sit there and watch his team lose with no answer? I hate it. Well, there, it's much preferable to the when you could win with a field goal. Oh, that was horrible, horrible. But it's still, it's wrong. It's so wrong. Yeah, I think it should be changed. But also, you see the next week, Kansas City wins the coin toss. Yeah. Well, that's now 10 of 12 teams. It was 10 of 11 that won the coin toss that won the overtime game. Kansas City now becomes the second team. To have lost that. That's a great point. They should definitely change it. It's rather simple. So I, you simple. could keep it that way in the regular season. Fine. In the regular season, ties rarely matter at the end anyway. Yeah. Whatever. Just, I don't like it. But in the playoffs. You have to let both teams touch the ball. <laughs> you have to do it. You have to do it. It kills me. It, it ruins. It's like so frustrating. Oh, I love the NFL, but they got to fix that. Why they can't, I don't know. But either way, Super Bowl upcoming, by the way. Yeah. This week. Who you got? It's Super Bowl week. God, man, I love, it's weird. I love Joe Burrow. I hate Joe Burrow and I love Joe Burrow because any any guy that gets sacked nine times in a row in a game and is getting annihilated and stands back in there and throws dimes is a guy I love as a quarterback, right? The guy's tough as nails. And I feel like it's maybe LA's time because it's George, it's the state of Georgia's time. <laughs> there you go. Right? I mean, the Braves won. Stafford. The Braves won, right? Georgia won and Stafford's a Georgia QB. So, like, are you going to deny that? It seems like the powers that be want the Rams to win. Sean McVay, I'm coming coach. I think on paper, Allen, the Rams are the better football team in this matchup because their D-line is going to give the Bengals serious problems. And the teams that have been able to short-circuit the Bengals get a good pass rush on Burrow, which I think the Rams are going to be able to do. So, tall task for them. They're going to put Rams. They're going to lock Ramsey up on Chase. And you know, of course, Chase can win that battle sometimes. But I think it's—I think the matchups are going to favor favor LA in this game. Yeah, you know, the Rams by four and a half makes me a little tempted by Cincinnati there. If I'm just doing it straight up, uh, the Rams seem much more compelling to me. I thought the Bengals got really, really fortunate to win their first game. I'm blanking. Oh, when they Berg got sacked ten times, the Titans. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The, the Titans, Titans should have knocked them out. The Titans played like idiots on offense. It's hard for me to see that Rams defensive line not being the, the center of the game. The, the Bengals are a year away. They got here. It's awesome. 
the fact that they didn't beat the Chiefs, like the Chiefs who basically stopped playing at halftime, I still don't understand what happened in that second half. The Bengals are a really fun story. I think they're going to be good for a while if they don't screw it up. But I think they're still a year away. I think offensive line, it's too much of a weakness. We saw this last year with Kansas City where they, they get everybody injured and that lost in the game. I don't think Cincinnati is at that point, but I think it's going to be similar. Yeah, it does feel bad. Rule number one of football, right, is you have to win at the line of scrimmage. If you're a quarterback, no matter how good you are, you have to have some time. Burrow has been so commendable because he's done well despite the fact he hasn't always had time. And, of course, Evan McPherson has been a sensation. Yeah, I love him. Got to love that rooting for rooting for Florida there. All right, that's going to put the first half of this podcast to bed. The second half, of course, will not be quite as long as this one. Uh, but first, we have some goodness to bring you. Alan? HelloFresh. Bring it to the people. Yeah. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm-fresh produce that arrives within a week, so you get convenience without skimping on quality. Skip the trip to the grocery store, James. We got sent some HelloFresh stuff. Looks it, really great. It is truly fresh. I think that's the key to note is is that you are just getting a high-quality grocery item and meats and proteins and everything yeah. you need to make it with a recipe. So it's not like a microwavable thing. Right. I'm looking forward to cooking it. It's going to be great. But it is like you went to the grocery store and someone picked out all the best of whatever you needed and gave you the recipe. And HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. And you can save on average over $65 per month when you order HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping. That's money back in your pocket. So go to HelloFresh.com slash GNFP16 and use that code GNFP16 for up to 16 free meals and three gifts. Yeah, they're giving you all kinds of good stuff. It's really it's really fun to try it. I'm someone who does not cook a lot, uh, but obviously having the direct instructions make it more simple and having every ingredient makes yeah. it great. That's kind of the key is I've done some of these things before and they give you like half of what you need and they assume you might have other stuff and you have to go to the store and buy the other stuff. It's, that's frustrating. This is plug and play. And again, you do have to cook. Do not order this if you're thinking I'm going to pop this in the oven or microwave. It doesn't work that way. But if you're someone who cooks and you want to take some of the thinking out of going to the grocery store, good option we will report back throughout the season they are sponsoring us for this season in general so we'll have more information from them as alan and i try more of their stuff all right we are also still brought to you by BetUS. a successful season it's been between BetUS and this podcast and sports betting season is obviously always in high gear when is it not if you still want to sign up for BetUS for the football season you can there's one more game left if not you've got basketball heating up march madness around the corner and you can use our promo code gnation125 or G Nation 200. These links will be in our Twitter and all social media feeds after the show to get a significant bonus on what you plop down to start with. And if you use one of our codes, you are directly supporting the show as BetUS sends us a hundo bomb for each one of you that signs up. So visit BetUS.com and sign up today. All right, let's talk about those last couple games. Last games that occurred years ago, it feels like. (laughs) Back on January 4th, the Tax Act Texas Bowl, Kansas State defeated, you know, a very game LSU team that was paying, playing a wide receiver at quarterback. They showed up and played. You yeah. got to give them credit. They didn't just default out. They got waxed, but they 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 played. And they, you know, they were game for a little while, but they ended up losing 42 to 20. And then the national championship game. We haven't got a chance to talk which about this. Which we've gone this far without yeah. commenting on, which is, which, right. you know, it is what it is. So Georgia finally gets over the hump. They win 33-18. Stetson Bennett carries the day, plays well in this game, well enough. 
and Georgia closed it out. This game was obviously closer than the final score. That pick six at the end, you know, pushes it up there a little bit. But um, your thoughts on this for Georgia and for Bama? Yeah, obviously this is quite in the rearview mirror. So a lot of you have already dissected this and thought this. But I'm going to first give credit where credit's due. Stetson Bennett pulled it off, and he did what I thought he wouldn't do, which was I said if the game is close and it's crunch time, he will not get it done. He did get it done in the fourth quarter. He was the better quarterback in the fourth quarter, and therefore he led his team to victory. I will give credit where credit is due. And then I will say this. I don't think that Alabama comes away with a loss in this game if they do not lose Jamison to that knee injury. Agreed. At that point in time, they were destroying, again, Georgia's defense. They'd already had 200 passing yards. After that injury, I think Bama managed 110 for the remaining two and a half quarters. They basically could not pass the football anymore. On top of that, they were also missing John Mechie. So to me, Kirby Smart gets a little lucky. Sometimes he'd be lucky because I think he makes the suboptimal decision in playing Stetson Bennett, and he gets the result he wanted, which is a severely wounded Bama team that couldn't score enough to put that kind of pressure on Stetson Bennett to basically knock him out like they did the first time. But again, credit where credit was due. You heard Stetson Bennett. He felt the pressure. He did not want the game to fall on his shoulders and be something he caused them to lose. So I love an underdog story. I love that kind of stuff. I still think it's suboptimal. But Kirby Smart is another feather in the cap for the three-year test. He passed the three-year test, and now he wins a national title, something we had said on the show. If you don't like him, Tyler Murray, be careful because he's getting so many talented players that he could still win. And this is why, Alan, you get the most talented guys you can. I think he won with a suboptimal strategy, which is because his roster was so talented he could do that. You don't want to be in scenarios where everything has to go perfectly for you to win well said it did not for uga and they won and that is still a credit to kirby smart uh obviously i thought nick saban handled himself extremely well and graciously as a loser which is something you want to see he was very kind he was very benevolent he made good comments he was a good loser i like to see that for the sport of college football when your best coach and best uh you know kind of guy acts that way so all in all you said it best if alabama had won life would have continued as normal nobody would have cared Georgia won, and now it's a consistent celebratory parade, probably forever, and that is frustrating. So well said to you when you called that out early on. <laughs> that is what yeah. actually has occurred. Yeah, and man, they really did have to win this year. I mean, maybe one of their QB recruits, Vandergriff, or somebody else is going to end up being a star. But losing to this Bama team, which is not a vintage Bama team, very young in a lot of spots, mediocre in places where they're normally excellent, especially like defensive tackle and things like that. Um, yeah, this is their time. I mean, there's nobody else in college football who could come close to them. If they had had a high-level QB, you know, put even like Kenny Pickett on this team, they would have beat anybody by 100 points. And they were playing it really close. Now, I've heard from my Georgia insiders – the deal with JT Daniels. I'm I'm so excited right now. Please is that Kirby hates him. That has to be true. That he thinks he's such a wuss whiner complainer. That could be true. That every injury, right? This lat injury, the the doctors are clearing him. And he even said in the press conferences things like this. I didn't pick up on that. It's just kind of a pain tolerance issue, which is basically throwing his guy under the bus, saying you could be playing now. You're soft. The, yeah. the reason last year they. They couldn't get him on the field was the whole like insurance kind of thing that that maybe came into play. And he just basically said, I'm done. I'm going to play the kid who has all the heart and moxie 
screw you. The locker room loves this guy. You might be more talented, but I'm not going to put you on the field because you're, you suck. If that's true, I like that. (laughs) I don't mind it either. It could be a well-crafted narrative to make things feel nice. And it's good. It's getting me because the football, the football coach in me and, and, you know, athlete in me and and podcaster in me and everything is like, yeah, that's what I want to stand for. I don't Mm -hmm. want a soft guy leading my team either. Okay. So in that sense, maybe it was the best decision. Now, again, you took this guy. You've got to put him in a position to win. I don't know. So it's not like he got handed JT Daniels. He recruited JT Daniels in the transfer portal. He he picked him. It it still seems crazy to think that this team, this talented, again, is going to be led by Stetson Bennett next year. Because he's nice. He's a walk-on. He's a fun story. And again, I love that. That's, That's a true American free market, work hard, get a chance story. You're not excluded uh, they didn't look at you and say you're too short, you're too weak. Or they didn't do that. You get a chance. I love that. I love that. But again, to look at Georgia's roster of all this talent and to think, okay, you're all these guys, you're going to be here, and then here's your quarterback who just is still a very average guy at best. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. But as you said, this was the window. We said it. This was the golden age and opportunity for Kirby to win one. And no matter what happens now with the rest of his career, he will have pacified Georgia to a level that they have been just begging for, mm-hmm. for, you know, 40 years. And so you end up 2017 and two in bowl season. Very well done by you. A little bit behind you there, 18, 19 and two. Um, bowl season, obviously super wacky this year, maybe wackier than normal, but anytime you can be above 500 there, that's a good job by you. I'm taking the coin flips. I was, uh, I was fortunate. All right, you got some news over there for us? I do have some news. So Anthony Richardson, a guy who saw the bench for most of last year, who we implored to play and couldn't get to play, is no big deal. Allen just ranked as the fifth most likely guy to win the Heisman in 2022. Of course, this stuff is going to change a lot with spring and the fall. But to show you kind of the hype train of what the odds makers think, they think, hey, this dude could be really good. So again, he still has to win out the job on his own. He's got a lot of stuff in front of him. We will see what happens, but a lot of hype for the signal caller there for Florida. And you, Alan, can purchase Anthony Richardson or anyone else's customized jersey. This has never before happened in college football. You can do it for Florida and about four other teams right now for 2022. So you can get whatever player's name you want and their number, and you can wear it. So that is new stuff there. Neato. There you go. All right. I want to ask you your thoughts on the NIL. So now we've come this far. We did kind of a what's the NIL going to be like, what's going to happen, you and I, of course, are not going to be able to have enough space in this podcast to cover what we think is going to happen or how it's going to happen. It's too complicated. It's too emerging. I want just your impressions of how it's gone thus far. Like it, love it, don't care. It's just a change. What is your like feeling of how this is changing the landscape of college football? A little mixed. My gut tells me that I don't like it, and I don't know quite why, right? I'm... I didn't like the kind of artificial cartel, like black market system, the way things are doing, have been going. I think the correction still needs to be aligned a little bit better. That's going to be difficult for them to do. Um, I don't know, because there's normally in a kind of negotiation, there's, there's two different parties are living up to kind of agreed upon terms. And it's very one, it's, was very one-sided towards the universities. Now seemingly very one-sided towards the players. Um, I just don't think that's healthy long-term. Again, I don't mind them being paid for what they're doing. Um, I think the current infrastructure is a little off. 
but you know, I think it's interesting. You know, the you want to do something to kind of break up the Bama, UGA, Ohio State-ness of it all, right? These same teams end up at the top. Now they're still there at two, three, and four, but Texas A&M, who's not won a national title since 1939, finished number one. The number one player in the country goes to Jackson State, right? So there is some weirder stuff happening. I don't know if that trend will continue. Um, or maybe other kind of weird consolidation will happen. Uh, so I like the little bit of the chaos it kind of injected into it, but I, yeah, there's just something about it that feels uneasy to me. And I don't know if that's right or not. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I generally dislike it, but I want to say this. I don't dislike any person being able to earn money from their work. If you're eight years old and you create a YouTube channel and people love watching you open boxes, you can make whatever money you want to make. I'm down with that. That's the way it works. What I don't like is what you said is in a free market, the incentives align for both parties. And if they don't align, other people start entering in to better align incentives. And this is a broken and jacked up system where now you have businesses um, at Florida, at Texas A&M, and anywhere else lining up and donating you know, millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars to these organizations that will then put money into the hands of these college athletes because they want to win. They just want to win. And that's fine, but the problem is this. We have no contracts. We have no non-compete clauses. We have nothing. So you're 18. All you're doing is for your whole career, essentially, it was what it feels like, Alan. You're just shopping yourself to the highest bidder consistently. And that's not good for anyone. You know, let's let's take a totally different scenario where the NIL is doing things and nobody cares. College baseball or other sports. But I'm going to college baseball because you get drafted in college baseball, right? You get drafted. You come to college, you play, you get drafted again when you come out because no one owns your rights. When you get drafted, you sign a contract. You choose to play with that team because they drafted you. Well, there is no draft for college football. You don't have Florida looking at the top 500 high school players and picking one and they come, they sign a contract with us or they don't, right? One or the other. Once they sign the contract, Florida has the right to be able to do what they want with them for four years and they're a free agent. Fine. That's fine. That works. That's why all sports work that way. Or you create a non-compete. You come work for us. You cannot go anywhere within the SEC or you can't play in the Power Five if you choose to come play for Florida, right? You have none of those things that college football teams can enact upon their players. So the players are just going around, looking for money, looking for something else. And on top of this, Alan, these players technically aren't worth that. That's what frustrates me the most. They're not worth that value. Most of them are not even going to play or start. But what happens when Joe Schmo Booster owns a car dealership and his whole life goal is to win a championship? He doesn't care about anything or anyone. He wants to load up that docket and pay these players to come win, which is what Texas A&M is doing, which brings me to this. A free market works, and here comes a big shocking statement. A company like Amazon is Amazon because they dominated the competition fair and square. They were a tiny nothing company. They started from nothing. They had a great idea. Everyone loved it. Everyone used it. They became a behemoth, right? That's what you want. You want the chance for this to happen. So at this point in time, Jackson State or anyone else can go take whatever player they want if they can pay enough money to them. But the system itself is not aligning, I think, player interest, academic interest, university interest, and there's no agreement between them at all. 
It's like a mercenary contract system where you show up, you don't like it, you leave. And that's the part that gets me. I think in societies, they flourish with some sort of commitment, and you always want the commitment, as you said, to be both ways. It's not good if the teams have all the control, and it's not good if the players have all the control. You need it to be in the middle. And we're just not there right now. And I think you're hearing coaches talk about this. You're hearing athletic directors talk about this. And so do I like players being able to make money off their jersey sales or other stuff or go out and create a YouTube channel or go work for someone and make money? Yeah, of course. I'm all about it. Do I like the idea of funds being created where I funnel you, Alan, 50 grand just to exist and live? Come on, business who wants to win. And you provide no value to me. You don't do anything for my business. You sort of just skirt the rules to get money because I'm going to pay you to win. That just does not feel right. It doesn't feel fair in the term of sport where you want to create some playing field where the champion can say, I won because I created the best product. And again, like Amazon, there's no salary cap in the free world, right? But Amazon won from the ground up. Other companies won from hiring talent, creating new ideas, and ultimately consumers bought their products, right? Sports are different. Sports, you win because you win championships, there's nobody buying their product per se. It's a different thing. So it's very different. It's very complicated. Can you do a quick comparison between college football's current structure and like European soccer clubs? What, well, and what makes that work better or worse? Yeah, and that's the one I like a lot. I always talk about European soccer clubs being the better model. And to be sure, there's no perfect model, but this one works better. It more closely aligns incentives, right? So you think of, of, of college football starts recruiting kids at their freshman year, eighth grade, maybe sometimes, right? Same thing occurs in European soccer academies, except they'll sign those kids to pro contracts at the age of 12 or 13 or 14. So your middle school years, perhaps your high school years, it depends on when you get picked up, but they will sign them to a contract varying years, right? And in exchange for that contract, the player will get room, board, training, money, you know, coaching, whatever. And then when the contract's up, they can transfer them, they can become a free agent, they can shift, they can do what they want. But essentially it allows it allows these teams like Borussia Dortmund in Germany which is much smaller than a Bayern Munich, which spends way more money than them, to succeed. Why? Because they can go identify talent. And then players recognize, if I get trained in the Bristol Dortmund system, they're going to develop me really, really well. So you start to get the alignment of incentives. You have a contract. You don't have free agency. Players can't just leave Bristol Dortmund because they want to be out of there, right? They can't leave Chelsea because they don't like it. Uh, they're committed with their contract to that team. And they can choose anyone they want when they sign that contract, but they cannot just leave on their own two years into it. This is good for the team because it allows them to better manage their resources. And it's good for the player because guess what? Newsflash, these kids that are 17 and 18 and 19 have no idea what the heck they're doing for their future. And you didn't either. And I didn't, Alan. I had no clue what I was doing. You need at times to have stability and structure to develop, right? To get better. Switching all the time is not a path to success, especially when it's money grabbing. So I think that's my point. Let's imagine college football now where all of Florida's players are under contract. And now let's imagine the NIL. They can go out and start YouTube channels. They can go work for whatever company they want. They can go do whatever they want. Do I care anymore? No. That's how the NIL is supposed to work. But it makes sense. They're from a university. They're there. They're under contract. Everybody knows what's going on. Uh, it's not madness. Maybe you allow for a, a free agent period. Maybe you say, hey, you've gone two years. You can be a free agent if you want. You create some system or some structure to where the commitment matters. And then the athlete is able to earn money how they want. And then it's some sort of, you know, again, like system that makes sense. Now, the reason we can't do this is the NCAA ultimately has the ability to legislate those laws. Well, guess what? They've raised their hands and said, 
we're kind of done. NIL's here. Well, they got See you sued later. into oblivion. Right? And then the, the the conferences have no real power yet either because they're under the NCAA. So what do I think is going to happen one day? I think if we continue on this way, you're going to have to see conferences form their own athletic leagues. I don't know how they don't. To where they can say, hey, if you want to play in the SEC, we are going to have these rules, which perhaps means that you cannot transfer to another SEC school. If you start at Florida, you can't go anywhere else. You can leave the conference, fine. But this is our conference. If you want to play in this league, here are your rule sets. And that's what happens in a free market is it's volunteerism. You volunteer and say, yeah, I want to play for those guys because they're the best. So I'll, I'll give up some rights on my own. It's a choice you make. Nobody makes you do that. We can't do that when, like you said, the NCAA now is a toothless entity. It was way too strong before. Now it has nothing. And all these teams are existing in between. And at the bottom of it, you have 17, 18-year-old kids and their entourage commanding whatever resources they want for money, which often doesn't even stay with a kid, Alan, which is the other frustrating part. Let's be real here. One thing I really dislike is most of this money is going to be going to people that are just sucking money out of these kids. They're vessels for them to enrich themselves, which is also very frustrating. Uh, So, you know, a lot of complicated thoughts there. But again, perhaps to encapsulate that, I think both you and I are very pro- anyone in a free country being able to earn a wage for anything they're doing. I would never stop that. I'm all about that. But this system is super chaotic. And I think it's creating things that are not not great for the long-term health of the player or the schools or even the people that are funneling money into this system. Or the it's sport just, itself. Yeah, it needs to or be. Or the sport itself. It's and I'm just not high not regulation. Great. There just needs to be some adjustments to. Yeah. No, you want the fewest rules you can have to make it work correctly. So you can look at it and say, this will be good. The incentives are aligned. And it doesn't take much. But right now, uh, you know, it's the Wild West. And again, look, let's be real. I'm okay. If AM wants to spend all the money, I'm going I'm to say this right now. If AM wants to spend so much money winning football championships, I am actually, as a free market person, totally okay with that. If that's what they want to do and they want to get no return on their investment, they want to lose money to win a championship. If they can do it, good for them. It means more to them. They're putting more investment into that. That's what sometimes happens. That part doesn't actually bother me. What bothers me is what's happening with these students, these athletes, our future citizens, the coaches, the whole ecosystem just feels like it's going in a direction that's not great for society. And that's not because there's money in there. It's because the way things are being done and handled and filtered is just not great. All right, I'm going to ask you update question here. Uh, we've now hired our co DC. I don't know if that Sean Spencer doesn't have like any film of probably what his defensive philosophy is, but uh, are you expecting to produce the breakdown of uh, Patrick Tony's defensive schemes? I am. I expect to get it out there this week. This week is the week before Valentine's day. So it's February 7th today. So if you're listening sometime during this week, I expect to get it out there. So look for that to hit the YouTube waves. Nice. And lastly, just real briefly about Florida basketball. Every time I think I'm out, they suck me back in. They're kind of the epitome of the bubble team right now. If you're projecting forward, do you think they're going to make the tournament? They are your Final Four team, as we recall. (laughs) I loved your excitement. Um, Well, I said that this team could be a Final Four team if they coalesce. Now, again, they've not played up to that. Ceiling even remotely. No reason to hold anyone to a preseason prediction. It's it's really fun, and you were excited, which is great. I I think the next four or five games will put Florida out of the tournament. We have Georgia this week, which we should win. Then we play Kentucky, A and M, Auburn. I think we'll probably lose all three of those games, and that'll be the end. Florida right now has done a nice job of beating the teams barely that are at their level or below it. 
and they can't beat the ones that are above it. So unless something really changes here in the next 10 days, I expect them to play themselves out of the tournament. Um, something I've said for a couple of years now is, you know, Mike White needs to be moved on. And I will say this about this team. It's an interesting team because I, I really like these guys. I like the way they play. They play so hard. They don't dog it. They, they get after it. They try, they're trying as best they can, but ultimately the team is just not good enough. And Mike White is just not good enough to deliver a winner at Florida. And both those things can be true. I can simultaneously root for this basketball team to succeed. I want these players to have success. I like how hard they're trying and representing UF and also recognize that ultimately it's not the right thing for the future. If Florida wants to be competitive. I would agree. And again, I like a lot of these guys on the team. Some of the expectations from the beginning of the year, I mean, Myron Jones, who's basically gone from like, this could be our best player to we barely play him. You know, some of the defensive capabilities, especially without Castleton, just aren't there. But yeah, I, I, there was a path that seemed to be really good or really competitive. And they just haven't lived into that mainly because they can't shoot the ball. Yeah, which is true. And they, and Mike White does not seem to, restrain them from shooting 25 to 33 a game when despite they're making the fact like that they're one of the worst in college basketball yep. shooting which is befuddling all right alan any other thoughts before we close no do we know when we're coming back we are coming back in march we always do a march mailbag um broadcast and then we do a may mailbag so we do march and then may and april is our spring yes florida has announced the spring game so Correct. we'll be having one in and around that time as well. Correct. So we'll come back. We'll, we'll we'll solicit your feedback and questions for the March mailbag. We'll do a April podcast, of course, covering the spring game. And then we'll do a May mailbag, which will then launch us into the July and then eventually the season. So that's what the upcoming schedule looks like. I have one other item. It should be noted on the NIL. Uh, Alan, the previous system, as you mentioned, things were done behind the scenes, backwater, illegally. It was sort of like a black market. It's better to have an open market. It's much better now that we can just look at A&M and know they're paying guys a lot of money. I'm, I'm way more in favor of that. I think what both of us are saying is what the NIL set out to do was not what's been created right now. That's, I think, the take-home point. NIL was a step in the right direction. What's happening now is not in the right direction. Something needs to get done to get it to the intent of that uh, so it doesn't become what it's becoming now, which is just an open market for, you know, who knows, whatever you want, we discussed it. So that should be said, though. We're not defending the previous system. That system was not at all working either, just like AAU basketball and basketball payments weren't working, aren't working. So must find a better way. All right, that's not the point of this podcast, though. So enough on NAL. We will be back in March to answer whatever questions you have for us. Check out the YouTube channel, of course, for the Tony Breakdown on Florida's defense. And until then, on behalf of Alan and James, we will see you next time. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.